Well, good morning, church. It is great to be here. My name is Mark Bettinger, and my wife Jen and I serve as the state directors for Chi Alpha here in Illinois, and it is a joy to be with you. Pastor Chris, thank you so much for the invitation. So I almost didn't come. I almost didn't make it, but I'm glad to be here. Pastor Chris called me in uh, November, late November, early December, somewhere around in there. And he called me and goes, hey, we want you to come and share. We're doing a series on nuts and bolts. And would you come and share with us? And I, at that time, I said, pencil me in. And we got to talking. He's like, you know, how are you doing? I said, good. I'm actually in the hospital right now. He goes, oh, I mean, is there a better time to call you back? I can call you back any time. I said, no, this is kind of what I do. And he goes, what do you, what do you mean by that? I was born with a lung disease called cystic fibrosis, CF. Just out of curiosity, has anybody in the house ever heard of CF or been a, oh my goodness, wow. Does anybody personally know someone besides me that has CF just out of curiosity? Wow. So you're familiar with the disease. I was diagnosed when I was six months old, and they said you wouldn't live until 12. It's historically called an adolescent disease because children don't live out of adolescence. Well, I reached 12, and they said, well, the new life expectancy is 16. And I reached 16. And then they said, well, the new life expectancy is 21, and I reached 21. And then they said the new life expectancy is 27, and I reached 27. You see where this is headed? And then they said, well, the new life expectancy is 37. Well, me and Jesus showed them, by the grace of God, I'll be 44 this fall, and I give God praise for that. Thank you. It hasn't been an easy road. It's actually been pretty challenging. My brother died of CF, so I, I understand the reality of it. But when Pastor Chris called me, I was in the hospital. What I didn't tell him, at that time, I was already meeting with the social workers and my medical team. I'm at Barnes down in St. Louis. That's my hospital where I was diagnosed when I was an infant. And I was meeting with them, sharing and talking about how to go on long-term disability. I said, I can't keep doing it. We've been missionaries now for seven years, and I just can't keep doing it because my lung capacity was down to 27%. Back in the day, if you were below 35%, you'd automatically be approved for the lung transplant list. And through some modern medical miracles, they've done some pretty cool things so that the lung transplant list, to be eligible, you have to be around 22 or 23% lung capacity, which means that they expect you to die within six months. And I'm not trying to be sensational this morning. I'm just saying this is real life, right? So I'm saying, Pastor Chris, I'll come. I'll come in end of February. I'll be come in the middle of March. And inside, I'm like, man, I don't think I'm going to make it there. I think I'll be done by then. But around that time, we had just flown back. We did a trip in Egypt, and we flew back and turned on our phones at O'Hare, and my phone just starts blowing up. 
Mark, have you heard the news? 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 And I start to Google, and I, I realize that Vertex Pharmaceuticals had just approved a new medication that we'd been waiting for 30 years. Cost a billion dollars to come to the market. My doctor said, wait for that one. That's a game changer. And so we were cautiously optimistic. Lord, are, are you going to do something here? Are you going to help my health? Lord, are you going to give me the energy? Are you going to give me the strength? Because when you're breathing at 27% lung capacity, my researchers and the doctors say that you're expending the amount of energy just to breathe every day that a marathon runner uses to run a marathon. No wonder I was tired by 6 p.m. every night. So this new medicine gets approved by the FDA, and we're shouting for joy, but then you have to go through the insurance process to get that approved, right? Because it's $311,000 a year. <laughs> you ever hold a pill that's like $25,000 a month? <laughs> you hold it real really tight, really close, right? So uh, quick funny story. I just started this medication, and I take 30, 40 pills at a time. It is what it is. Well, I have this big vitamin that I chew and swallow. You don't just swallow it whole. Well, I'd forgotten to chew my vitamin that morning, and so I threw the whole handful of pills in my mouth, that vitamin included, and they got stuck in my throat. Well, I don't get nervous when that happens. It's happened my whole life. You just, I just kind of relax and cough and huff a little bit. So I, I I cough, and I'm in the kitchen, my wife's right next to me, and I cough, and I see this pill come out of my mouth, make a perfect arc, and go right into the garbage disposal. It didn't dink, it didn't bounce, first swish I've ever had in my entire life. And I said, oh Jesus, not the blue pill. Not the blue pill, not the expensive pill. And I walk over to the garbage disposal, and I look in, it's the blue pill. They're like $350 each. What do you do when you spit a pill into the garbage disposal? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. You kind of, if I was in a different room in the house, it would have stayed, right? If it went into something else, that one would have stayed. Jesus, protect me, cover me. I'm not doing that, but. So I am thankful. I am God. Uh, I'm so glad to be here that God is doing a, a new work. A couple weeks ago. Went down to Barnes, and uh, if you know anything about CF, you have to blow into a big machine that tests your lung volume. And I blew into the big machine. This was just like two and a half weeks ago, and my respiratory therapist, she started to cry. I said, Jennifer, what's wrong? Like, is it bad news? Did I go back down? Am I on the lung transplant list? And she looks up to me. She goes, Mark, just the opposite. I went, what? She goes, Mark, you went from 27% lung capacity to 44% lung capacity. And I said, thank you, Jesus. And then I got retested after a little while longer. And by God's grace, last week, I was 67% lung capacity. And we give God all the praise, all the glory. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you're a good God and worthy to be praised. I thank you, Lord, that you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer, Lord. And we praise you. And we say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Do with our lives whatever you want, Lord. 
We give this morning into your hands. Thank you for your word. And we pray all these things in the matchless, mighty name, Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. So, Lord, you've given me new strength. You've given me new endeavor. And God reconfirmed his calling upon my life. He said, Mark, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And he gave me a renewed vigor to, to follow the calling that he's given me and that he's given you. And we know the Great Commission, don't we? Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. How does that happen? I'm going to give you a crash course on how to make disciples. They all start with the letter E because that's the way my brain works. If you're taking notes, they all start with the letter E. First and foremost, how do you make a disciple? You engage with the gospel. It always begins with gospel engagement. To make a disciple, it always begins with getting the gospel out and into people's hearts that they would have a gospel identity, that they would have a gospel fluency. But once somebody responds to the love of Christ, once they are engaged with the gospel, they surrender their life, then what do we do? We establish in the word. See, we need to take this word and we need to sit down with folks because there's some wonky thinking out there, isn't there? We need to share what the Bible says and what it doesn't say. And that can happen in, over breakfast, that can happen over a lunch, that can happen anytime we need to be involved in people's lives. So we engage with the gospel, we establish in the word, and then what we do? To make a disciple, we equip them to go minister. We equip them to go serve. Vacuum some floors. Go cook some meals for somebody. Go visit somebody who's not able to come to church. Go serve. We say if you are following Jesus, you're out there serving. You're doing something. We need to get out. We need to go serve. Followers of Jesus are servants. So we engage with the gospel. We establish in the word. We equip to minister but then we empower to go make more disciples. We empower to go make more disciples. And we say on the college campus where we serve, when we meet with students throughout Illinois at our fall retreat uh, last October, we had 19 campuses represented. And I'm honored to serve as the state director for Chi Alpha. We have about 40 pastors on our team that we're ministering. Here in Chicago, we're on five campuses. God is doing something new. We launched Illinois State University this year. We launched University of Illinois Springfield. We believe that on the horizon, the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign is going to be re-pioneered with Chi Alpha. We were there for 16 years, but when our team left, there just wasn't anybody to replace them. So, Lord, give us the U of I again. Give us Northern Illinois University. Give us the University of Chicago. Give us Western Illinois University. Give us Roosevelt University. There are 320 campuses campuses in Illinois. Here in Chicago alone, there's 500,000 college students. Here in Chicago alone, there's 500,000 college students. The third largest collegiate population in America. And when you reach a student from another nation, when they go back home, they're the world's best missionaries because they know the language and they know the culture. 
And we had the privilege of serving in South Africa, but we got pulled off the foreign mission field because of our health. And in a time of brokenness, in a time of sadness, we cried out to God saying, Lord, would you lead me? Show us what you want us to do. He was speaking to my wife and I, and in a moment of surrender, he spoke to us. And here's what he said. If we couldn't go to the ends of the earth with the message of the gospel, the ends of the earth come to us as international students on the college campus. Reaching the nations from right here in Illinois. The U of I alone has 117 nations, 10,000 international students. Lord, give us the U of I. And so we empower Students, when we're meeting with students, we say, you're not just talking to the person across the table from you. You need to empower them to go and do likewise. You need to empower them to reach the next person. We say that disciple-making is multi-generational. Be reminded of what 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says this. Paul says to Timothy, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. How many generations are in that verse? How many generations are in 2 Timothy 2.2? Paul, Timothy, faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations. So we say that disciple making is multi-generational. So what does that look like? What does that look like? In December... My wife and I, our home base is Eastern Illinois University down in Charleston. That's, we pioneered there five years ago. We host international events throughout the month. We kind of have a big event on the last Friday of every month. So we had a big Christmas party at our house. We invited over a whole bunch of students because they had nowhere else to go. They were just sitting in the dorms or apartments. Many of them had never celebrated Christmas because they were Hindus or Muslims, or atheists, or sheiks, or any other religion from around the world. And we got to meet some students, and I befriended a student I'd never met before. He came with somebody else that we invited. His name was Samson. And I said, hi, my name is Mark. He goes, hello, my name's Samson. That was, that was in December. And I said, uh, you know, what are you studying? He told me, and I said, what's... Uh, What's your country of origin? He goes, I'm from China. I'm like, really? Awesome. He goes, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Chinese Buddhist. I'm like, really? Like practicing? He goes, yeah, practicing Buddhist. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Uh, welcomed our home. And he, he was so thankful to have a catered Thai meal. And we shared a story that night about Jesus. We, we called it Great Joy. And I said, Samson, if I gave you a Bible that was English and Chinese, would you read it if I gave it to you as a gift? Oftentimes, international students will do something if you give them a gift. And we happen to have some Chinese-English Bibles, and I gave him one, and that picture's in my office. I gave Samson, and he's, uh, oh, go back. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's got his Bible, and so he started to read it, and we started getting together each week. We'd get together, and he'd have all these questions, and he was reading his Bible. He had not confessed Jesus yet. So the middle picture, we, I said, uh, Samson, let me take you out for lunch. Special treat today. Do you like barbecue? 
He goes, oh, I love barbecue. I love the barbecue. And so I said, all right, we'll go to the barbecue restaurant here in town because there's just the one because we live in a small town. It's not like here or there's a multitude of options. And so we walk up and he goes, oh, this is not barbecue. I went, yeah, it is. He goes, no, I, I, I like the Korean barbecue. I'm like, well, this is southern barbecue. I'm going to introduce you to briskets and um, pulled pork and things like that. And so I, we sat down, and the waitress came up, and she goes, uh, hi. And she saw him. She goes, where are you from? And he goes, I'm from China. She goes, oh, do you know our owner? We're like, what? She goes, yeah, our, our owner's from China. I went, hold on. <laughs> The barbecue restaurant in Charleston, Illinois, is owned by a Chinese person? She goes, yeah. I'm like, bring her over. So they brought over the owner. That's the middle uh, picture there. And Samson, the owner, they start talking in Mandarin for like 10 minutes. I'm like, where am I? Where am I? You know, I think I need some sushi or something. But no, her other restaurant is a Chinese restaurant. But so they exchanged numbers. And I'm like, man, you know Jesus is in it when that's the scenario that uh, – Chinese woman owns a southern barbecue restaurant in Charleston, Illinois. And so we continue to get together. Samson is reading the Bible, asking all kinds of good questions. Some of them, he's like asking me about the Trinity. And, you know, the Trinity is just so easy to answer. I'm like, man, I don't, you know, let's, let's really dive into this because that's awesome and amazing. And what is the Holy Spirit? You know, big questions are just really quick and easy to answer, you know. I'm like, man, you're asking me questions that my church kids don't even know or, or ask me. And... Um, Last Monday, oh, the last picture there is Chinese New Year. Last Monday, I get together with them in the union. And we start talking. I said, Samson, is today your day? <laughs> is, your, is today the day? This is Monday. And he goes, yes, it is. So right there in the union, Samson, a Chinese Buddhist, surrenders his life radically to Jesus Christ. That was the picture. Somebody's walking by. And I said, Samson, do you realize what this means? He goes, yes, I am now a child of God. I'm like, yes, that is exactly what this means. I said, but what happens when you go back to your home country? He goes, I don't think my parents will like it. <laughs> Maybe some other people, too. I said, you, you know, you need to be careful, right? Because I believe that God is preparing you to go back to China to be the world's best missionary where you live, not Wuhan. Thank you. And he goes, yes, I must be careful, but I'm not ashamed. And that night I got on Facebook, and this is what he posted. He posted on Facebook that he had decided to follow Jesus, and today was a good day. And I said, Jesus, give me that type of courage. Give me that type of boldness to represent you, to serve you, Jesus. Give me that boldness. That is what I want, Lord. Give me that boldness. And I just started praying, Lord, send forth laborers. Jesus tells us, 
to pray earnestly for laborers. I said, Lord, we need more laborers. There are so many campuses that need to be reached with the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for laborers today, right now, because there are students like a Samson that need to hear Jesus, that can respond to Jesus. And that's where you and I come into the story of the Lord is saying this morning, will you raise your hand? Will you say, here am I, Lord. Send me. And I often wonder, why don't more people pray that prayer every day? Why don't more people say each morning, here am I, Lord. Send me. Why? Why don't more people pray that? Because that's a dangerous prayer. Could you imagine praying that prayer? What if God really does send you out? What if God really does send you to Africa? What if God sends you out to all the nations? But then sometimes he's just saying, I want to send you across the living room to talk to your family member. Why aren't there a throng of people Standing up, even in the house this morning, saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Why aren't there more people standing up and doing that? I would venture to say, there might even be a few of you here this morning, maybe even right now, that when I said that, something welled up within you. And we would call that fear, wouldn't we? Fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of finances, fear of missing out on something with our family, fear of failure, fear. Well, this morning we're going to talk about a man who dealt with fear and how he had to respond by faith. How he had to respond by faith. Matthew chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, feel free to Get your Bibles as far as far as me and my house. We're paper people, but if you have your phone, if you have your tablet, feel free to tap along. If you don't have any of those, that's okay. We'll throw the words up on the screen. But let me give you the backstory, the context of what we're looking at. John the Baptist has just been beheaded. Scholars will say, if you study it, that John the Baptist was Jesus' second cousin. And he was beheaded. And it says that Jesus went out into a boat and to pray. And I would venture to say, it doesn't say it, but what would you do if your cousin was just beheaded? And if you look at it contextually, it's because of Jesus. What would you do if you were Jesus? You would grieve, wouldn't you? You would grieve. I think Jesus went out to the boat and it says he prayed, but I think he grieved. See, we, we know Jesus is 100% God. But we also need to recognize that Jesus was 100% human. He was a human like you or I. And it went, he went out into the boat and he prayed. And I'd say that he probably grieved. He was saddened. So he comes back in. Of course, all of his boys are there, all of his disciples. And they're like, Jesus, we got a problem. We got a big problem, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, what? Of course, he knew what he was going to do, right? They said, we got a problem, there's 5,000 men, that doesn't include the women and children, and they're all hungry. It's late at night, and Jesus goes, okay, uh, what do you have for them? <laughs> and they're like, uh, we, 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 well, we don't, really have, we don't really have anything. 
Jesus, we don't really have anything. He goes, okay, what do you have? And Andrew's like, well, we got this little boy here. He's got five loaves and two fish. He goes, all right, bring him here. So we know the story. He multiplies. It's a miracle. He multiplies the bread and the fish. And they disperse it to everybody, and there was a whole bunch left over. And so the disciples are each given a basket, 12 baskets, 12 disciples. They go around. They pick up all of the leftovers, and that's where we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. I'm going to read in the ESV. You follow along in whatever translation you have or follow along up on the screen. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was alone there, but the boat by this time was a long way off from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Strange. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified of course they were, and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you. If it is you. Command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water strange, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O ye, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? So you say, oh, Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. You know what Jesus was actually saying? Peter, you, you are little faith. He called him a name. He said, you are little faith. Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. The disciples are rowing in the boat somewhere around 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. They're rowing in the boat. They're rowing. They're rowing. They're rowing. The wind is howling. The waves are blasting against the side of the boat. It's dark. They might have been a little cranky at this point. They're rowing. They're rowing. This morning, mentally, right now, put yourself in the boat. Put yourself in the boat. The wind is howling. It's 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. You were supposed to be there hours ago. You're rowing with your friends, your disciples. You're either not making any progress or the wind is so hard you're actually going backwards. And the waves are splashing against the boat. Water's getting into your eyes. The wind is just absolutely howling. It could have been some type of like a hurricane. And all of a sudden, in your moment of weakness, you look out and you go, what's that? What is that? And all the disciples look up and go, what is that? Of course they're terrified. They don't know what it is. They can't see real clearly. And they cry out like, it's a ghost. What is that? What is that? And Jesus says, it is I. It is I. 
back in the day, and I think some of you will probably be able to relate to this. Back in the day, uh, we didn't have little phones that we put in our pockets, did we? We had wall phones, and they plugged into the wall, and when it rang, everybody in the house would run to the phone because we didn't have caller ID. We didn't know who it was. There wasn't a special ringtone, none of that. And when you picked up the phone, you didn't know who was on the other line. Well, growing up, my dad worked on the road. One year, he was only home uh, 18 days. And so he would call home every night. And uh, I remember it was about 8 o'clock one night. I was a little kid, and the phone rang. I'm like, huh. And I ran over there, and I pick up the phone, and I hear, hey, buddy. I'm like, Daddy, Daddy, it's you. How are you, Daddy? And he would ask me about my day and how was school and all those different things. Well, when I picked up the phone and he said, hey, buddy, he didn't have to say, hello, this is Charles Wellington Bettinger IV. He didn't have to say that, did he? Why? Because I knew his voice. And he knew my voice. And here it is. The disciples say, what is that? And how does Jesus respond? He goes, it is I. Be not afraid. It is I. He didn't have to say, hello, this is Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, fairest of 10,000, lily of the valley, Sharon's rose. He didn't have to say any of that, did he? He said, it is I. Why? They knew his voice. They knew his voice. They couldn't see him clearly, but they heard his voice. Interestingly enough, it doesn't say that he had to scream. He just spoke out. See, Jesus' voice is louder than the storm. And I don't know what storm you're going through, what challenges you're going through. Jesus' voice is louder than the storm if you're listening. He just says, it is I. Be not afraid. See, in the moment of this storm, God can speak peace into your life. In the moment of challenge, in the, in the moment of the storms of life, if you're listening to his voice, he can speak peace. And Peter recognizes his voice. And Peter pipes up, as he often does. Says, if it's you. You call me forth, if it's you. See, Peter had a little bit of faith. He had a little bit of faith. We said, if that's you, Lord, you call me forth. He couldn't necessarily see Jesus real clear, but he could hear Jesus. Faith isn't relying on what we can see. Faith is relying on who we can hear. If you're taking notes, you can put that in your notes. Faith isn't relying on what we can see. Faith is relying on who we can hear. And Peter pipes up. He's the ringleader. He always pipes up. And he says, Lord, if that's you, you call me forth. If that's you, Lord, you call me forth. And the Lord says, come. Could you imagine being Peter? Has anybody here, <laughs> I asked this once before, anybody here ever walked on water? And this guy in the back, he raised his hand. He goes, yeah, I did. In February of last year, of course, the water had frozen. I'm like, okay, you're out. You, out. You're out. You just ruined everything I was about to say. 
Could you imagine being Peter? Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Is that you, Lord? If that's you, if that's you, you call me. He goes, come. So Peter takes off his sandals, hikes up his robe. (laughs) It's solid. I'm coming, Jesus. I'm coming. And as he kept his eyes on the Lord, he was able to walk on water. The second human in human history that ever walked on liquid water, Peter walked on the water to the Lord. But it was only when he took his eyes off the vertical and put them on the horizontals when he began to sink. He looked at the wind and the waves, and he began to sink, and he began to cry out to the Lord. And this morning, I I put myself in that boat. I say, Lord, if that's you, are you calling me to something new? Are you calling me to something radical? Lord, you get me out of the boat. I'm willing to go. If that's you, you call me forward. Lord, are you calling us to go minister to the Sepeti people in South Africa? We sold everything we owned. I was in the medical field for 12 years. We gave it all up. We moved to South Africa to work with the Sepeti people. Lord, if that is you, you call me out of the boat. My wife just got back from Nepal Friday night. She went there for two weeks to help strategize how to get God's word into the hands of every child in Southeast Asia. And the coronavirus is all over the place. We said, Lord, if that's you. Because, by the way, the team director just left China January 22nd. Lord, if that's you, you confirm your will. We'll go. She'll go. If that's you, you call us out of the boat. Lord, are you calling me to work with Chi Alpha, the most strategic mission field in the world? We say that unapologetically because where else does every tongue, every nation, every language gather at one time in one place? Somebody yelled out, Walmart. Yes. (laughs) Maybe that too. Okay. You're also, you're out. You're out. Get, Get out in the name of Jesus. Get out of him, Legion. Get out of him. Lord, if that's you, you call me. Are you calling me to be the state director for Chi Alpha over all of Illinois? Because we're down at Eastern Illinois University. We're in our boat. Things are really, really good. Lord, if that is you, you call me out of this boat, and I will go, Lord. Because I, Lord, I'm not, I don't really see real clearly, Lord, but I hear you. If that's you, Lord, you call me out of this boat and I will go. Lord, if that's you, I will go. If it's somebody else, I'm not going to go. If it's something else, I'm not going to go. But if that's you, Lord, you call me. Lord, I will be able to step out. I will go, Lord, because I love you with my whole heart. I have followed you for 38 years, Lord. I'm not giving up now. You have given me strength. You've given me energy. If that's you, I will go, Lord. And the Lord said, you come. You come. And this morning, what is God calling you to go to? Is he calling you out of the boat? Because the Lord calls us out of the comfortable and into the chaos. The Lord calls us out of the mundane and into the mystery. Lord, call me out of this boat. I don't want to live the comfortable life. There is no such thing as a bored again, Christian. Lord, you've given me new vision, new strength, new energy. I will serve you with my whole heart. And the Lord says, you come. You trust him. 
We have a little bit of faith. You say, well, I'm, I'm not Peter. No, you're not. I'm not T.D. Jakes. I'm not Matt Chandler. I don't have the faith of a Francis Chan. No, you are you. You are you. And if you're a Christ follower, God has given and instilled in you faith. But it might just be a little bit of faith. And God is calling us to trust him more. To be the church that serves. To be the church that goes out into the highway and the byway to serve. To engage with the gospel. To establish in the word. To equip to minister. And then empower to make more disciples. That is the commission for you and I. So Peter gets out of the boat, his love for Jesus, he's like, I just want to be with him. Lord, I have a little bit of faith, and Jesus says, come. So Peter starts to walk on the water, but it's when he looked at the wind and the waves, when he looked at the circumstances, that's when he began to sink. See, faith is an action. Faith is a step to get out of the boat. Faith is an action. Lord, what do you want me to do? Faith is a step to get out, to go someplace new, to do something different, to say new things. Faith is a step. See, if faith was something we could see, we would never go. Faith is not relying on what we can see. Faith is relying on who we can hear. Lord, if that's your voice, you call me. If that's you, and so Peter begins to walk on the wind and waves, but then he looks at the wind and waves, and he begins to sink. You know what's interesting? These are the same wind and waves as when he was inside the boat. The circumstances had not changed. The environment had not changed. They were the exact same wind and waves when he was in the boat as he was outside the boat. He starts walking to Jesus. He looks down. He takes his eyes off the Lord. He stops listening. He looks down and he begins to sink. But what does it say? Immediately, Jesus reaches down his hand and he catches him. I would have thought, and walk with me on this one, I would have thought the closer to Jesus he got, the more his faith would have grown. But it was, it was, he was right next to Jesus is when his faith was drowned by fear. It's when fear crippled his feet. But Jesus is right there. Jesus will walk you through the journey. Jesus is right there, and that's grace, isn't it? Lord, what if I fail? What if I falter, Lord? Jesus like, don't, don't worry about that. I'm going to catch your hand. Don't worry. I'm going to walk with you in your faith journey. I'm right here. If you'll just trust me, if you'll just believe me, I will walk with you. And here we see not just a cool story of a man walking on liquid water. This is a teachable moment. It's a teachable moment for you and I. And Peter failed. His faith failed. And this is the same Jesus that denied, sorry, this is the same Peter that denied Jesus three times at the cross. This is the same Peter 
Sorry, let me repeat that. This is the same Peter that denies Jesus three times. This is the same Peter that abandons Jesus at the cross. But this is also the same Peter that in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, stands up with courage and boldness in Jerusalem and says, the Holy Spirit has come. God uses Peter, even though he had failed in the past, God uses Peter in a powerful way because God is the God of second chances. God is the God of new beginnings. Even if you failed in the past... God can do something new in your future. You might be saying this morning, Mark, it's too late. I don't know if I could do something radical like that. You might be saying it's too late. Well, Colonel Sanders didn't start KFC until he was 62. You might be saying, Mark, we tried that. It didn't work. We tried that whole missions thing. We tried that whole discipleship making thing, and it didn't work. Thomas Edison tried to make the light bulb a thousand times before he was successful. What if he stopped at 999? God is saying, do you believe me? Do you trust me? I have some friends. They live down in Paris, Illinois. Their names are Rick and Stacy Wilkins. He retired from the military, and God spoke to him about starting a coffee company called 120 Coffee Company. It's a coffee shop to serve the community, to be a witness to the community. And you might be thinking, oh, Rick must be like a hipster wearing skinny jeans and drinking skinny lattes. No, nah, Rick is 52. That's them there. And I, I said, Rick, Stacy, that, was, that was that a big faith step? They said, yeah. We kind of put everything into this thing. But God has blessed it. He's encouraged them. My encouragement to you this morning, I'm going to start to wrap up with this. Don't let fear cripple your feet. What is God calling you out of the boat to do? God called Peter. He said, you come. And Peter was willing to get out of the comfortable and into the chaos. He was willing to get out of the mundane and into the mystery. And he started to walk with Jesus. But fear sometimes inhibits what God wants to do in your life. Sometimes we reach a point, we say, I'm not going to go this way anymore. I heard a statistic a while back. I don't know if it's true. If it is not true, Lord, correct my thinking, correct my understanding. But I read a while back that 98% of all people who thought they were called into full-time missions never go. And I'm not saying you're called to Africa or China, but I'm saying this. We are called to be ministers, to get out of the rows and into circles to get in life on life, life on mission with other people. What is God calling you to do as a church and individually? May our faith muscle be flexed. We have a little faith. Lord, increase our faith. Because sometimes we look around and fear cripples our feet. 
couple Sundays ago, and I'll finish with this. I took one of my good friends out. His name's Bob. Uh, do we have a picture of Bob? That's Bob. That's my buddy. He's been with me through all my health challenges. He knows when I'm sick. It's weird. Dogs are weird like that. But I took out Bob. It was a beautiful day, kind of like today. And I said, Bob, let's go out to Lake Charleston. He loves to go out to Lake Charleston. We chase the fish and the turtles and the snakes and all that jazz. But it's really, really rocky, really, really high terrain. It's very hilly. It's great exercise for my lungs. I said, come on, Bob, let's go out to Lake Charleston. And so we went out there, and about 100 yards down the path, as dachshunds sometimes do, he put on the brakes. And I said, come on, buddy, let's go. Come on, let's go. You, you love to go to the lake. Come on, let's go. And the harder I pulled on his leash, the harder he pulled back. And I looked down in his eyes. I said, what's going on, buddy? And I looked in his eyes, and I saw fear. Something on the path had scared him. I don't know what it was, but I just saw this fear in his eyes. And it was in that moment God nudged me in my spirit. And I reached down and I picked him up and I said, buddy, we're going to do this together. And I put him up on my shoulder and we walked the next couple miles. And I was just talking to him and I was quieting him down. See, sometimes Jesus walks next to us, but sometimes we need to let Jesus reach down and pick us up and carry us down the path. We don't go alone, but he calms our hearts just like he did to the Sea of Galilee. He said, peace be still, and it was calm. Sometimes he takes you out of the storm, but he can always take the storm out of you. And as I walked with Bob, I was just talking with him, and I realized after a couple miles, he'd calmed down, and I put him down, and we finished the next couple miles walking next to each other. See, you don't go alone. Jesus is with you just like he grabbed Peter. Jesus can pick you up and put you on solid ground. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you this morning, and I thank you that you're a great God and worthy to be praised. Father, I believe that you are calling us to a new thing, something radical, something incredible, something amazing, Lord. I pray, give us faith, Lord, to get out of the boat. Give us faith to follow you with our whole hearts, Lord. For, Lord, strengthen our faith. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you in a new and a fresh way, Lord. Thank you for this house this morning. Encourage them, bless them, strengthen them. We pray all these things in the matchless, mighty name, Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody said, amen. Thanks, Mark. Today's message... I feel like in my spirit is incredibly timely. In two weeks from now, we are going to be going into our mission focus. The last few years, we've talked about giving change, giving time. Not to spoil it, but this next year, we're going to be talking about giving all. And in this room, I want to encourage us, each and every one of us, 
is called to be a minister of God. It is not reserved for me. It's not reserved for Pastor Randall, Pastor Heather, Mark, Terry. It is not reserved for our missionaries. It is for the priesthood of all believers. If you can look to Christ and say, you are my God, he looks back to you and he says, you are my people, and my people have a purpose. And the purpose is this. We have two weeks left of nuts and bolts. And for the next two weeks, we are going to look at the end of all things. Because this world that we are in right now does not last forever. And if the people in this world do not know Christ, they are going to go with it. That is why we are called to be ministers. God has sent Christ into this world to minister on our behalf, to welcome us into his kingdom for the express purpose that we will go and be his people to invite others to be part of his kingdom. Mark shared a verse that's been heavy on my heart. It's Isaiah 6, 8. The Lord looks at the prophet Isaiah and he says, whom will go? Who will go? And Isaiah says, send me. I want to invite all of us this morning to respond to that in a way where if the Lord is asking, and I believe he is, who will go, that we have an opportunity to respond, send me.